And we're back. Welcome to the podcast. My name is... Uh, welcome to the podcast, In and Through Exist to Equip the Church to Be Here as Endures of the Word. My name's Tim. My name's Marshall. I don't know why, but every time that song kicks on, I'm just like, click, pop, like it. Yeah. I just do this like weird head thing. Yeah, I, I do a little, a little dance internally every mm-hmm. time. I hope I don't lose my Baptist ordination over that dance. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, so in the last episode, mm-hmm. we talked about a level of evolution that we're willing to accept. Micro. Micro-evolution. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one that we would direct would be, uh, a, that we would push aside is macro-evolution. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In this episode, what we want to do is we want to take some of the most celebrated case studies mm. and give them a closer look. Yeah. Right? So uh the the case studies that we're gonna grab. Um we're gonna we're gonna talk about Darwin's finches. The finches. Cause that's kind of where it began. Yeah. Uh the classic moths mm-hmm. thing, industrial revolution, mm-hmm. the white and the black moths. Um and then I just wanna throw in a a little something about a bonus. About moths there at the end that it, also yeah. is is very butterflyish kind of a thing just oh, that's the fun. whole nature of how those things shift and mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff and the and the que- the thing that we're going to do is we're just going to say are these things um are are these things really an opportunity to say case in point right 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 or are there questions that need to be asked and answered uh in order for us to say yeah, I, I see where you're going with that, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where we're at today. So let's talk about the finches. Yeah. So recap of how finches come into the story. In the 1830s, Darwin is on a surveying and research voyage um, on the HMS Beagle, famous ship, and they go to South America. They kind of circumnavigate the well, they do circumnavigate the globe, but they kind of go along the coast of South America. And then one of the most interesting and remote places, uh, most interesting particularly for Charles Darwin, uh, that they visited were the Galapagos Islands, which if you don't know where they are, they're like 900 kilometers off the western coast of Ecuador in the Pacific Ocean. Like not the most remote place on Earth. They're not They're not quite like an Easter Island, but they're, they're pretty, pretty remote. Um, and so the interesting thing about the Galapagos Islands and what made it a good place for Darwin to do a lot of his study and research is that they don't seem to have ever been inhabited by indigenous people. Like, so those Polynesian sailors and I uh, think Moana, if you, if you don't know what the word Polynesian is, uh, you know, on those big sea canoes, uh, they went all over the place. Like it's wild. I, I'm, that's one, that's one part of history that just boggles my mind of how they were able to find their way around without modern technology. But anyways, right. So th- here's a cool rabbit trail. Okay. To, to go down one day because I, you're like me, right? Like we work once a week on Sunday <laughs> and we just watch Disney movies. And the rest of the we, week. right. There's only so much you can do with the rest of your time. Right. So why not get stuck in hours of a YouTube 
rabbit hole. Right. Okay. Right. Yeah. Sure. Um. So there are all of these videos on YouTube about people who are crossing the Atlantic, not just in like tiny boats. We're talking like 16-foot sailboats, mm-hmm. crossing the Atlantic solo mm-hmm. in 16-foot sailboats. This one guy I'm watching on his short sailboat, water's completely dead, like completely dead, no wind. Mm. Okay. Just glass. And he is literally in the middle of the Atlantic. The boat's not moving. And he's just like, I haven't, I haven't had a swim in a long time. It's hot, and I'm just exposed out here, mm-hmm. tired of sitting under deck. I'm just going to take a swim. Doesn't tether himself or anything, just jumps in the water. I'm like, dude, you're like two gusts of wind <laughs> away from your boat, just drifting away. Madness. But anyway, there are people crossing the Atlantic in canoes. That's wild. That's wild. That's wild with GPS yeah. and radios mm-hmm. and tons of technology and freeze-dried foods mm-hmm. and all of the things that make this sort of thing possible. Mm-hmm. There's actually a race where multiple people that's, will leave Europe that's cool. and race to the other side of the Atlantic. Anyway, that's cool. that the Polynesians were doing this on like dugout canoes and just tied together with mm-hmm. rope on a bamboo platform between the two come on man it's wild that's bold it's wild like i just boggles my mind and to be like oh we're gonna go to like such and such an island it's like if you're off by a degree like because you're if you're traveling because some of these islands some of these groups and groupings of islands that they would travel between were like hundreds thousands of miles apart Mm -hmm. like if you're off you're off just slightly but but it's even it's even more than that in my mind though marshall because we know that the islands are there. Right. They had to f- and for us, it's travel. Like, you're talking about people right. who will they get into a canoe and they know. Right. How do you think about that? They, they know. Find them. These people are just like, we found this one. Maybe there's another one. And they just... And how just much like, trial and error would you need? You don't, know, you don't know how to provision for this. Is it going to, like, maybe it's just around the bend and we can't see it. Mm-hmm. Right? But there's a line in the sky in the sea and it calls me <laughs> and no one knows <laughs> how, how far, far I'll go. That's what happens when you have <laughs> little kids. ones. Yeah. You just know these songs because oh, yeah. that's what your house is full of. Love it. Disney tunes. So good. So yeah. So, okay. Back to the Galapagos. Yeah. Uh, that, that is, that was longer. That than was a tangent. That's, that's fine. Um, so n- as far as we know, no, no kind of native people. So it was just kind of like untouched, um, untouched paradise, really. Like not paradise, but untouched, you know, ecosystem. Uh, discovered in the 1500s by the Spanish, um, but there wasn't much fresh water. So mostly it was just kind of a like a stopover spot for like whalers and pirates that would just like briefly pop in, you know, on their journey through the Pacific. But there wasn't, you know, wasn't really any like long-term habitation going on there. So great place to study animals and plant life. And, you know, Darwin noted as they kind of went, surveyed these different islands that, you know, some of the creatures were different, mm-hmm. right? Uh, some of the tortoises, there's tortoises, and sometimes the, the tortoise shells were, were slightly different on one island than they were on another. Uh, but especially the birds. He was very fascinated with the birds, um, and they seemed to come in different varieties. There was, you know, 
you know, overall size was a bit different. Claw size, uh, beak shape. These are all kind of different things um, that he noticed. And initially, he's like, huh, these different birds, like, I wonder, you know, where they're coming from and, and what their differences, what the reason for their differences are. And so he took a bunch of them. I think he took like 13 different kinds back to England with him. Um, I couldn't find out whether or not, like, they were alive or dead. Like, did he keep them alive or not? Oh, I, yeah, that's a good question. I, I wasn't know. sure. I couldn't find, no one, no one mentioned that. Um, because I'm like, that would have been a lot of work to keep all these birds. I mean, I mean, they'd be stuck in their cages. So, like, the, the fact that they, like, might get sick and die if they don't get exercised. And, mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm not sure. Anyways, I don't know. I'm just curious about that. I don't know. I mean, birds live in cages all the time. Oh, man, I hate birds. But the reason they're different is because their capacity to crack hard seed shells versus not. So you'd have to get specific right. foods for each bird. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Different different bird seeds. Well, yeah, so we're get, we're getting there, but just as an aside too, like I don't I don't get the birds as pet thing. I've I don't never, either. I've never understood it. No, I I don't either. To me it's always sad. I know. I always feel like you should just go, dude. You, yeah. Spread your wings and fly. Yeah, except they're like a budgie, so they're like if it's not like June or July, they're gonna yeah. freeze in five minutes. But at least they'll be free. Yeah, and and they're also very messy. They're very messy. They're smelly. They're loud. And like my one buddy, I hope my wife doesn't listen to this episode because she did. She had. She was a bird. bird she, she was a bird. A bird girl when she was. Oh, younger, yeah. I just yeah. I don't get it. I don't. I don't understand. Anyways, um. So he brings them back to England and he studies them with the, the help of a famous ornithologist. Mm, named John word. Gould. John Gould is just one of those names where I feel like that name is just very generically British and has come up. Like I feel like there's a John Gould in the theology <laughs> world, a John Gould in the <laughs> business world. And I don't know, for whatever reason, it's just like I saw that name and I was like, I just wish you could surely how many John Goulds have there's there gotta been? be a lot of John Goulds. Um and I had a teacher growing up named Mr. Gould. Um anyways, they concluded that Maybe they, his name was John. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Actually, it's a good question. Now I'm now I'm curious. Um, but they concluded that all these these birds, <laughs> sorry, sorry, were in I, fact. I did it. If you Google John Gould, yeah, you have all kinds of like scientists and a musician, yeah, and a teacher, um, an artist, a hockey player, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just one of those lots things. of people. Yeah, yeah John yeah. Gould. Anyways, um, so so they figured that all of these birds, these 13 different kinds of birds that they got were all finches that were related to a very populous finch that lived on mainland South America. And they also recognized that these finches, um, you know, that lived on different islands were different. And they asked themselves, why are these birds different? What, what might be the cause of it? Right. Some of the birds had long beaks, kind of sharper claws, Mm -hmm. which were good for catching insects. Others had kind of short, tough beaks that were better for breaking nuts and getting at seeds. And so they figured, that their hypothesis was that at some point, birds from the continent made it to these islands, but then they were isolated from each other, and these species on different islands evolved independently from one another. And so the differences between them arose, you know, kind of, by chance over time yes but also with kind of the survival of the fittest idea right so the you know the birds that needed you know they needed longer beaks to catch bugs on that island because there weren't a lot of seeds so they developed these long beaks and and so on and so forth Mm -hmm. and so that was kind of that's their hypothesis and that Mm -hmm. was kind of um part of 
Darwin's view of this, this evolutionary change over time. He wasn't entirely wrong, but he was still yeah. wrong. So it, in, anyways, he, he was dealing like, to his credit, um, he, he obviously didn't have the full story. He didn't understand genetics. Mm-hmm. Being one of them, right? right Genetic, right, right. like the like the human the human genome, like DNA, was not even discovered until I think the fifties. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, I mean, the nineteen fifties, right? And here he is in the eighteen thirties. So, there are some things that he didn't really understand, and and there's some studies that have come to light that you know maybe challenge this. But for the longest time, and it's and still in textbooks, finches are they're like the the trump card of like, right? So uh, there was one. Um, is it Ray Ray Comfort? He's an apologist, right? Mm-hmm. So I was watching this little video of him just kind of going to um, a university campus in the States. It might have been like USC or something like that. Anyways, but he's asking profs and students, like, what's the proof? Like, give me give me an example, a tangible example of, of evolution, of species changing, right? And time and time again, again, everybody keeps mentioning the same thing. The finches, the finches, the finches, the finches, Darwin's finches. They're even known as Darwin's finches. Um, so that's why we're going to talk about it today. Because yeah, and, and here's, here, this would be my fun thing. Yeah. Right? Give me an example of macroevolution. Mm-hmm. The finches. The finches and what? <laughs> the finches themselves. Right. That's where he gets You at. mean that, that were finches and are finches. <laughs> right. Right. But give not the me same one. Finch. Give me seen... one example of macroevolution yeah. from kind to kind. Oh, the longer beaks, dude. The longer beaks. But that's yeah. It's, well, so that's kind that's a thing. Well, and that's that's which is going to be his point. That's the question, right? Yeah. So, so some things that came up with with the the finches. There's just some kind of the research that I, that I did. So there were some uh, Swedish and American scientists who examined the DNA of. So they do these like what they've been able to do more recently and are doing increasingly now are these like intensive DNA studies where they get strands of DNA and they just do like deep dives. These take years to do sometimes because Mm -hmm. of how complex, you know, even bird DNA is. Mm -hmm. Um, But they they studied uh, like over a hundred different individuals from 17 different species of finch. But they noticed that the gene marker which determines the beak shape, so long, skinny versus short, thick, actually that gene could be varied within the same species. So just like human beings have gene markers for like blue eyes, brown eyes Mm -hmm. within our species, but Mm -hmm. in certain communities you have essentially all brown eyed people, right? And in certain communities at least historically, maybe not so much anymore, you had like all blue-eyed people. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, it's essentially the beak shape is that yeah. within the finch. That's what they found out. So there's a gene marker that that the short beak, long beak uh, is actually, the, the, yeah, the, the, the genes for that can be found within an individual, some of the individual finch species. Right, and, and I would, when we, when we did church history podcast okay we talked about the early church fathers Mm. and how they they said things that we wouldn't agree with but we also told people to give them a break yeah cut them some slack Mm -hmm. because they were the founders Mm -hmm. we 
talk about things differently in theology. Mm-hmm. We use words they wouldn't have used, and we avoid words that they would use mm-hmm. because we have 2,000 years of watching thing, watching people take that thing and nuance it into a thing that is twisted from what you intended it from and and just sort of fine-tuning and all that sort of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. The same is true with Darwin here, mm. right? The things that Darwin was able to observe and the places his mind was able to go in just a, a creative attempt at rationalizing change mm. is more than I would have been able to do. Oh, yeah. But I stand on the shoulders of a couple hundred years, well... Almost. Not, not quite, but almost a couple hundred years of this being discussed. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm at a point of privilege that he didn't have. And I would just say this, like that these birds were different on different parts of the island because of capacities to do things. Just the question I've always had is, were there not insects on the side of the island where there were also seeds? Mm-hmm. Right? Like these things mm-hmm. are all part of blended ecosystems yeah sure sure right and you're going to have insects on all parts of the land yeah right i mean there's different islands that are isolated and there is some variety from one island to the next but 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 you're you're not gonna you're not gonna have the island without insects right yeah of course not and you're not gonna have the island without seeds right yeah right these things have to be and, and, it, and it's not like, well, on this island, all the plants with edible seeds are only soft seed. Right. And this these are only hard seeds. Because then what you're talking about is like a vast change in the flora, mm-hmm. which would be far more evident than the beaks of the finches. Right, right. Right? Like this kind of tree or this kind of plant is only growing on this island. Right. Which is not the argument being pressed forward, right? Right. Yeah. So there, there not, would, I don't know much about that, but there I, would yeah. have been a variety of sure. of diet just assumed in this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think that's I think that's fair. And, and so I, I guess what I'm just trying to say is, we 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 can't just assume this hyper isolation, even if we're talking about isolated islands. Right. They're not going to be that unique. And sides of and and portions of islands. We're mm-hmm. not we're not talking about unique in such a way that it would stand outside of what we know to be an ecosystem Mm -hmm. on this planet. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, so some other things that they they notice in in some of these more recent studies. So they also noticed that there was a lot of gene flow. And what gene flow means is that unlike what Darwin thought, so he thought that because of the distance of the islands, he thought it was too great for some of the finches to cross. But... It seems like that wasn't the case, um, that these subspecies of finch didn't necessarily evolve in isolation, but were interbreeding and hybridizing. Mm -hmm. So by hybridizing, right, two breeds kind of coming together and then kind of create the labradoodle. Yep. The labradoodle, right? You have poodles, you have labradors, but everyone's like, oh, wouldn't it be great to have, you know, something that's like, you know, family friendly, like a labrador, but you know, not dumb. But hypoallergenic. But hypoallergenic. Yeah, that's probably mm-hmm. that's actually why they got the poodle in. But labs are kind of dumb. But they're like dopey. They're dumb. beautifully dumb. They, I know. Oh, you're right. You're oh. right. Poodles are brilliant. Anyways, so um, so what's actually happened is like since Darwin is there, uh, a couple of the species that he identified or the subs I would call subspecies, um, because they can breed interbreed, which mm-hmm. means they're not different. Mm-hmm. Um, but some of these subspecies have actually disappeared due to interbreeding so certain groups of these finches have just mated together so much that 
like one kind of just dominated the other or they created something different. So there's there's some of those things that he identified that just you can't find in the island anymore mm-hmm. because there's so much back and forth mixing and all this this kind of thing. Long beak, short beak, changing. Oh, like quickly, like like within 200 years, within less than 200 years, right? Um, so although for him, he's like dividing them all into these distinct species, they're not really distinct species at all. I mean, no. it depends on your definition of species because typically what we mean by species is like you can't interbreed right. between species. Right, that's the dividing line in species. Yeah. Can can they interbreed? Right, right, like like... That's why wolves and dogs can interbreed. Right, so they're both canines. Yeah, they're both canis lupus, right? But dogs and foxes can't. Right. Um, so, so again, so there's like you can have things that look alike that aren't the same species, and you have things that look very different that mm-hmm. are still the same species. And so what they're, they're finding is that these finches are all related to each other and have been interbreeding, and yeah. They're... they're- not different kinds. Not really. They're not a different kinds. Yeah, to use the biblical language, who God who made things according to their kinds, uh, they have, they are of the same kind. Yeah. Uh, even and, though and their beaks look different, or they might be a little bit bigger, a little bit smaller. That's not even taking kind at the at the big level of bird. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. It's that's more taking, specific. Yeah. That's taking kind as finch. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and that's where that's where pressing on this thing about. Um, that we would even use the language Darwin's finches, mm-hmm. right? Just hammers home the way that we talk about, e- even even in the evolutionary world, we talk about these things in a way that sort of undermines what is being said, mm-hmm. right? And and it's not just here, right? Right. But to say Darwin's finches, there has to be for any journey a beginning and an end, mm-hmm. right? So you would have to say the finch and. Right. With a, with a predecessor or something that would come subsequent to the evolutionary process mm-hmm. and say, this kind and this kind, right, is a different thing. And so to, to just keep it at finches is to, in some ways, admit it's just a shift within the kind, mm-hmm. which is not macroevolution. Mm-hmm. If you want to throw back to last week's episode, which yeah. feels funny to say because we did it 15 minutes ago. Um <laughs> If it, it, it's not a, it's not macro evolution. Mm-hmm. It's in that case micro, mm-hmm. right? And over time, would this shift? Even if I were to grant you plausibility in that, mm. then you you still can't use this as an example of macro. Right. And and so that's one statement. Another way that we do this linguistically is. People talk about evolution with intention, mm. right? Even even hearing you do this, you said, so that or because, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It's incredible how much the teachings of evolution use terms like so that and because, mm-hmm. right? Which is this concept of intentionality, of design, and of purpose. Right. We were talking about this at the dinner table, because I bore my family like that. <laughs> and Miriam, who has just turned 10, pipes up a few weeks. I've been sitting on this for weeks because it was just so good. Miriam pipes in and says, I was watching this thing about peacocks. And they say things like, the male peacock has beautiful feathers so that. 
Mm. It can attract a mate. Mm -hmm. But it's not like it can make the decision to have beautiful feathers. Right. Right? So why would you say so that as if they made a choice or as if evolution made a choice? Right. Right? right? Unless evolution is a being with capacity Mm -hmm. to bring about its purpose. Right. In yeah, which case, to, yeah, it just so happens that in which case we're have to say it. <laughs> we're Paul mm. at the Acropolis mm-hmm. saying, mm-hmm. "You, you have this God mm-hmm. who you for whom you have no name." Right, and and in that way, we're kind of exactly where we were in cosmology mm. when we said people are so comfortable using the universe mm-hmm. as personified. The personification of the universe. The universe meant this. The universe is doing this. The universe wants this. Wants this. It is. It's causing all of these things. Evolution is also personified mm-hmm. and given intention, cause, purpose. It has a, a desired outcome mm-hmm. that it is working toward. Mm-hmm. And these are. And it's worshiped for its efforts. <laughs> these, <laughs> these are really problematic semantics and and sure our our uh, hypothetical third listener mm. who has been decided to listen to one more episode Thank because the last that. one was <laughs> compelling um <laughs> or or maddening <laughs> probably a bit of both <laughs> maybe maybe they also have trouble sleeping <laughs> and so and so they're here going you are making much about nothing mm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Why do why do you feel the need to use those words? Why is that how you choose to express these things, mm. to personify it and to give it purpose? Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and is there another way to say it that would make sense? Right. Right? Because <clears throat> if it is random chance, then then instead of saying this happened so that, you have to just say dumb luck of this guy mm-hmm. is that he had this ugly duckling thing going on where he was different than everyone else like him but in the end he wins the lottery <laughs> right right but right. that's just not how it's it's presented mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right yeah and i think i think the reality too like so with the fidgets there was another zoologist from princeton peter grant who spent 18 years doing a study on the Galapagos finches and he, and so just studying how things change, like how the environments there change and the, the bird populations change. Um, he, he, he kind of figured out that, you know, if there was a bit of drought, uh, you know, in one area that would have reduced the amount of seeds available, you could have an entire population of the short beak finches transition to long beak within a, like maybe a couple hundred years, like an entire population change right? Individuals much quicker than that, but the entire population would, would shift, right? So because what what these creatures have is a degree of genetic variability. Right. And that's what I was getting at in the last episode, mm-hmm. saying you don't have 10 million years to shift mm-hmm. to food pressures, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? It has to happen quickly. Yeah. But they, they have genetic potential. So I think the thing is like the... like. These finches and, and actually all other animals and humans have genetic potential. So this this is the idea of like 
we we have within our DNA the potential to pass down certain characteristics. Now, a lot of times, um, these characteristics will be dormant and will not pop up, will not be a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is a great degree of variability, right? And over time, as populations kind of congregate, you're going to get much, much more similar features. But but theoretically, there's still this, this potential variability, right? So like a wolf, we talked about dogs last last week, but just kind of get back to this because just because it's a really it's a really easy example within the wolf's DNA has all had all the genetic potential for every breed of dog that we see, mm-hmm. right? right? Like so within its DNA, all the different things that need to go this way or that way was already present there at, when it was just a wolf. Right. So in the same way, that's also true of finches. It's also true of people, which we're going to talk maybe a little bit more about on our next episode. It's so. also true of Bella. Oh, yeah. So, so yeah. I'm going to do, for those of you who have been listening since the beginning. Talk about your dog, Tim. You'll remember that in 2020, uh, we breeded Bella. Mm-hmm. Um, by all intents and purposes, a border collie. We've been told that. By like five, yeah, she's like a chunky border collie. Five different vets, yeah, yeah. That's what she looked like. Yeah. Um, and with with an Australian Shepherd, registered Australian Shepherd, mm-hmm. have these puppies. We're gonna sell them, right? All the puppies come out looking different. Uh, some look like Bella, but brown. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of them, one of them looked exactly like the father, an Australian Shepherd. One looked just like Bella. Tons of variety in them, right? Mm-hmm. We put them up. We sell them. Uh, a couple months later. One of our favorites, Willie, who was just sort of this little chunky fluff ball kind of anomaly within the group. Mm -hmm. Uh, His new parents send us an email and say, hey, FYI, we took this puppy to uh, the vet Mm -hmm. for its first vet visit. And they did the projections and he's going to be 80 pounds. Oh, wow. And we're going... How is that possible? Good question. Because Bella's what, 50 pounds maybe? Not even. I mean, she's she's the size of a border collie, right? Yeah, she's thick. But she, yeah. She's thick, but she's, yeah, she's not 80 pounds, nowhere right. near. And, right. and, and, and an Aussie's not either. An Aussie's no, smaller, yeah. not even close, right? Yeah. yeah. So we're like, oh my goodness, there's a problem, mm-hmm. right? So we contact all of the people who bought from us to say... If this is upsetting to you, we'll refund you. Mm-hmm. Um, if you were trying to buy a specific kind of dog, we can make that. We'll take the dog back. We'll make the refund. Sure. We want to be completely transparent. We are running a DNA test right now mm-hmm. to let you know what's actually going on here. Right. We get the results back. I trust that this DNA test is um, accurate. being sure as accurate as we can be because uh, we didn't like cheap out and just do a whole like... Mm-hmm. Can you tire, take your home? Take yeah, your yeah, home yeah. Kit. We we sent we like what is the best, most reputable out there? Sure. We're gonna spend the money because we made some money off those yep. dogs, and it's it's only the right thing to do for those who had purchased from us. Mm-hmm. We send it off. We get the results back. Bella could not be more of a mutt. <laughs> she has twelve different distinct breeds represented within her. That's awesome. The most dominant. Mm-hmm 
are things like German Shepherd, right? And Chinese Sharpei. <laughs> that one's wild to me. <laughs> which you can see, like her tail does curl, right? In sure. a way that, yeah, it doesn't. That doesn't happen with a border collie. One thing glaringly absent: border collie. <laughs> Zero chance that she has any border collie in her at all. Where does her coloring come from? Right. In addition to uh, the Chinese Sharpei and the German Shepherd, um, her most dominant features mm-hmm. are St. Bernard, which <laughs> is where Willie got his size from. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Boston Terrier, which is where all of her, 100% of her color comes from. Right, because it's She's, mostly black with that white. And the, right. Yeah. She's a fuzzy mutt who got who's just wearing the clothes of some Boston Terrier forefather kind of a thing. But all of that within her and Mm -hmm. all of it expressed very differently Mm -hmm. within her puppies. Right, right. And uh, just to close the story, we didn't, Mm -hmm. not everyone was happy, but we, but they all kept their puppies. And so Mm -hmm. that kind of ended where it did. Um, But what a wild variety, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. even within a single generation mm-hmm. that was expressed there. Yeah. So, yeah. And so, and we see this, like we see this all the time, right? Like, so for me, both my girls have red hair. Now it's not like, it's not like fire engine red hair. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's reddish. It's like red with blonde kind of strawberry. Yeah, uh, stra- but more than strawberry blonde. even. It's more red than strawberry blonde. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's red, but it's very light red. But anyways, but I get weird looks all the time. Mm-hmm. Cause people are like, you don't got red hair. I was like, no, I mean, I was blonde as a kid, but now it's kind of more Brown. Yeah. And they're like, well, you know, almost but Candace like, isn't almost a redhead like, either. No, like, she's blonde, but like people kind of like, almost like looking at me, like, are you, are you sure there are you mm-hmm. even kind of jokingly, but it's like, well, yeah, like my, my grand, both my grandfathers, my biological grandfathers had red hair. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it just skipped, it skips generations, right? Like this thing goes dormant and then it pops back up. And then now if you have like two redheaded people, their likelihood of having redheaded kids is very high, mm-hmm. right? So it's it's the same thing. It's like, so you, you'll see, and so that's why when you breed two border collies, you're going to get border collie collar puppies. You're not going to get a Great Dane puppy popping out, right? But when you have this variety, it can come through in, in different ways, right? And so again, that variety can can make can present itself in significant differences, but again, it's all still within the same species. Right. It's not. They're not. All that variety exists within the species. All that variety for all the dogs existed within wolves. All and I would say, showing my hand here, folks. This will be next week. But all all the variety for people existed in our first parents. Yeah, and and, and so the the main drive home of of part one of this is. We don't need to exaggerate the mm-hmm. uniqueness of the varieties. Yeah. Because they can and often do, as is being proven, coexist. Mm-hmm. They're contemporaneous, mm-hmm. the different sizes of beak and all that kind of stuff. Um, and, and the other thing that I would say we can't exaggerate is the value of those changes and the pressures that cause these things to rise and fall Mm, right mm -hmm. so i don't we're not going to leave finches entirely but just to pull from another animal we'll say the giraffe for example okay right the giraffe is a pretty common one that people are like well as food gets scarce Mm -hmm. 
the the capacity to reach higher and higher is a useful thing. Mm-hmm. Sure, to a degree, um, but the giraffe's neck is so long that it's actually a liability right. in some cases because, right. like, I don't know if you've ever looked into this, but, like, giraffes have valves going up their spine so that when they dip their head to the ground... Oh, I've heard of this. The blood doesn't just, like, all rush to their head or rush <laughs> from their head right. they and just pass cause out. them to just, like... <laughs> Kill over, imagine because of bend over and just pass out instantly. Yeah, so they're these systems of valves that sort of only allow so much blood at a time, right, to go in each direction, right, which is like a multiplying factor. Mm -hmm. And so, so just to be like, oh well, they could reach higher and higher until here, be like, well, but then at some point, one generation of them was just like all killing over. But mm-hmm. one of them had a mutation. That's where we get into the variable mutations we talked about maybe two or three weeks ago. Right, right. Variable coinciding mutations is mathematically implausible. Yeah. Um, implausible to generous. <laughs> right. But, but also, also to argue that, that food was so scarce at ground level mm. that the only means of surviving was to be taller. Right, and then increasingly taller, would would mean that there are no other species around that aren't growing taller, right? So all plant eaters that coexist for these however many millions of years mm-hmm. with the giraffe but aren't getting taller have to be gone. Mm. And so what you end up with then is only really tall plant-eating animals. You would think that. Until right. all the tall animals eat everything off the tops of the trees. <laughs> no, no, this is a thing, right? Right. And so, and so what happens is that takes the food pressure off of the plants because plants are also mm. in this world evolving. Mm-hmm. This isn't just an animal's thing. Right, right. Um, and so the pressure on those smaller shrubs that were being eaten is now less. And so they can start to thrive again, mm. Right which lessens the pressure to need to be tall. So at some point, you don't need to just keep getting taller and taller and taller Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in order to eat the leaves off of these plants. These other animals still exist. So it can't, we we can't over-exaggerate the pressures. Mm. That's kind of what I was getting at when I was talking about the fact that in all of these environments, insects existed, Mm -hmm. right? So we, we can't be like, well, the reason their beak grew that way is because they needed insects as a food source. Mm. Insects are everywhere. You find an island, you find a tropical island without insects. Let me know. <laughs> so I can go there. <laughs> sell that thing and make a mint. I have a tropical paradise with no mosquitoes. And an Airbnb that you can rent, right? <laughs> um, so yeah, those those things are always going to be there. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so you're not going to find a place where they're going to be like, oh, well, this finch only had the capacity to eat insects. And so it died off because there were no insects. But the ones with stronger beaks that were able to eat seeds, mm-hmm. right? They're eating both. Mm-hmm. To varying degrees of success, right? But we 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 can't just be like, well, seeds weren't here, bugs weren't there, and thus the change, mm-hmm. right? We can't exaggerate 
how unique these things are because the genetic codes mm -hmm. are constantly there through all of them and we see the varieties through all of them mm -hmm. but we also can't exaggerate um the the differences in these pressures mm -hmm. because what we end up doing then and this is this is one of the things that i think comes to a fault of oversimplifying evolution is that if we oversimplify evolution into these little cubby holes that are completely siloed and isolated then it starts to make more sense mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and when darwin wants to say hey these finches were eating this kind of seed and they have a beak that allows them to do that mm -hmm. and i saw this one eating insects and his beak is better probably not as strong to eat a seed like this one would be but mm -hmm. but was able to get into the tree in a way that maybe that one couldn't it's very interesting observations mm -hmm. that doesn't mean that that's the only food source that that one could eat and that other food sources weren't available and all mm -hmm. that kind of stuff, right we're just we're forgetting that this whole ecosystem is more melded than mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. and and exaggeration, in a weird way, exaggerating these things becomes an oversimplification. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I know what and you mean. and in in those silos, these things can start to reason. But when you really just sort of blow that up, and you're like, "Come on, where where do where in the world do we not have seed or or insects and different kinds of these going around?" Then then all of a sudden you're realizing, "Hey, you know what? Even." in what would be argued to be the most isolated places in the world. It's still very much like every other place in the world and not quite that isolated. Right, right. The, the, the best question in, in looking at the biodiversity in the Galapagos mm. is how on earth did these seeds and tortoises and this kind of stuff get here? Right, right, right. right. Uh, because they're way out there. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. That's a good point. Why don't we talk about moths, Tim? All right, moths. let's talk about moths. So this is another one of the famous textbook mm -hmm. examples yeah. uh, where you have moths, mm -hmm. predominantly white, occasionally can be black, yeah. on trees of light-colored bark. Mm -hmm. And then we have an industrial revolution. Mm -hmm. We have factories burning coal. Mm-hmm. And we have a blackening of the trees, darkening of the, the bark, um, the mutation, the random mutation, I will grant, mm -hmm. the random mutation that uh, the black moths were experiencing became then advantageous. Mm. And whereas they had previously measured, the predominant moth was the white within this kind, mm -hmm. now... The black is the predominant. Right. In certain areas. In certain areas where this was the pressure. Yeah. In like Manchester. So this was in England. So it was like in Manchester mm -hmm. and Birmingham, which were like economic, like just full of like foundries and like mm -hmm. really nasty. Air quality was not right. good. They had a lot of smog days. Right. <laughs> so, so in last week's episode, we talked about micro versus macro evolution. Mm-hmm. And how there's a lot of eye rolling when Christians want to bring up micro and macro evolution, mm -hmm. right? And they want to say, well, this is an unnecessary division. Sure, it exists. But one is just the first steps of another, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But I think we just laid a pretty good argument that Darwin's finches weren't macro evolution. They're micro evolution. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This is an example that is stated to be micro evolution, mm -hmm. even amongst 
uh, scientists, right? Right. Um, so the question is, are these shifts the entryway, the threshold, into a macro shift? Or is it just simply micro? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, the reality so with these moths is that so you have this like I think it's called like the peppered moth or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it's like yep. white with like some some like like it's been sprinkled with pepper. Um, but then yeah, you get these like these black ones. But there's debate on whether or not like was was like the black moth like they they they, they may have had like individuals that like individual peppered moths that had this black coloring just but rarely, mm-hmm. right? Like as an anomaly, like being albino. Right, like it's just a right. different something happened, right? But if yeah, like if everything is just covered in like soot and tar and clouds of black smoke from all these foundries and these, you know, um, factories during this um, during the industrial revolution, then even just a handful of those, you know, those black ones are going to have a major. They're not birds aren't going to be able to see them. Yep. So they're going to yep. breed together, and then you're going to have a lot of black moths. But they're still the same kind of moth. Yeah, and, and they're that's, not a different. Like they're the, It's just. It, yeah, I that's, don't know. That's the point. Is it, these are these are peppered moths, and so the question is, um, are they different? Well, I think of it as like a Dalmatian, mm. right? A Dalmatian is a peppered dog. Yep. Right. How many spots does the Dalmatian have? Lots of spots, or just a few spots? Right, because there are Dalmatians that are essentially white, but with just some peppering of mm-hmm. of the spots mm-hmm. here and there, and then you can arguably have a Dalmatian that is completely covered in spots, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, or or more so. Right, mm-hmm. that's what we're talking about with these moths. Mm-hmm. Right, how many spots do they have? Do those spots start to come together and overlap? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. In that case, what we're talking about is not a shift in kind. We're talking about a predominance of what would in human beings be hair color, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Or eye color, yeah. right? If, if there is a certain trait that is advantageous, mm-hmm. it is going to be more likely to show up in the gene code mm-hmm. over time, mm-hmm. uh, not over millions of years, no. pretty immediately, yep. which is why this is measurable. Yet, those moths, other ways they could have protected themselves from birds. Mm-hmm. They could have grown in size mm-hmm. to where they were as big as the birds. Right. They could have grown scales so that they couldn't be consumed. They could have right. developed poisons, right? All of these things that we apply to every other animal. Oh, they mm-hmm. did this because that caused, right? None of those shifts happen. Right. They're just harder to see but they're still the same thing. Mm -hmm. And even to this day, which granted in the scheme of 10 million years um, is, is a blink. Mm -hmm. They are still peppered moths as, as pollution comes down, Mm -hmm. there's a greater balance between the, the variations in, in their coloring. Mm -hmm. But if there hadn't been, and it got to a point where the world was so covered in black mm. that only the black moths would survive long enough to breed, mm-hmm. which is the basic definition of survival of the fittest. 
that mutation would have happened within just a couple generations, and it would have been reason enough. It would have been change enough. Mm-hmm. You would argue, well, it doesn't need to become another creature. That itself is its defense. It doesn't need to become another kind. It exists even within that kind of protection great enough. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it is micro, but never needs to become more than micro. Yeah. It is an, an end in itself. Well, and it's actually, so it's actually been, it was actually a trend that, that has then since um, begun reversing. So, so in 1895, so just before the, the, mm-hmm. the turn of the 1900s, um, they figured that in the Manchester area, like 98% of those moths were the black, like the all black kind, right? Rather than just the typical peppering. But then as they kept kind of like studying it and as like, you know, people stopped always burning coal to do everything and, and started, you know, you had environmental policies come into effect. Effect Since the 1960s, the frequency of the black moth versus the peppered one is declining mm-hmm. because there's less of an advantage now. Right. Right. So like, again, it's this, it's, it's not. It's not really, it, it's, it's just like, oh, because like for a little while, it was better to be a black moth than a peppered moth or they're all peppered moths, but better to be a black one than a spotted one. And now that's just, that's changing. And so that's just like, yeah. And, and that's to within, my, within a few generations, that's like, to my point on the finches that we can't mm-hmm. exaggerate the pressure right, that's right. on these things because the same pressures happen within food supplies, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, if one adapts to cut down on, on this food supply, well, then another food supply is going to be able to thrive in its place, right? And so we can't just pretend like there's these hyper-isolated. There's one kind of tree and one kind of animal that's going to eat that tree. And as the tree keeps growing, the animal keeps growing, and they're just in this race to the top in order to be able to survive, right? right? There is a an incredibly vast world around these things. Mm-hmm. Here is the better question about moths. Not about color, mm-hmm. uh, because I would argue there are some brilliantly colored moths and butterflies mm-hmm. that stand out fantastically mm-hmm. and still exist as species. Right. They don't all need to be camouflaged, right. which would be the macro argument for for moths right. changing color based on mm. their environmental pressures sure, and predatory sure. pressures. Um. Why on earth is it advantageous for a sterile creature who has an infinite food supply? We're talking about the caterpillar. Oh, okay. An infinite food supply <laughs> compared to its size. Right. But it's sterile. To build for itself a cocoon. To liquefy itself so that nothing that was is Mm. and inside of that cocoon just completely morph into an Mm. entirely other thing Mm. capable of reproducing and feeding from a different food supply the butterfly and the moth Mm -hmm. are Mm mind-blowing and and when you look at all of the things that could go wrong, there is no, in, in my mind, there's no evolutionary argument right. for 
I don't I don't care about your color of moths. <laughs> moths shouldn't exist right. in evolution, right? <laughs> they are everything's food is a caterpillar. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What what bird or fish, right? Like, <laughs> so many things feed on these things. Sure. They're completely sterile. Hmm. So they don't have the capacity to reproduce to reproduce young. Right. While they're young. Right. Right? Then they have to have the ability to build for themselves a house of their own bodily fluids that will solidify. Mm-hmm. And then they're going to build it around themselves liquefy themselves like so 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 you have these caterpillars they can't reproduce but Mm -hmm. somehow they keep coming around Mm -hmm. and then one day one of them's like what if i melted (laughs) in a case of my own spit what if i right and and i just made myself melt and i came back as something else right (laughs) it's like reincarnation physical right and intentional right i'm going to reincarnate myself yeah it makes no evolutionary sense there's so much that could go wrong Mm -hmm. yet the world is full of these things right right there's i i just don't see how an evolutionist can make an argument to say track the butterfly track the moth Mm -hmm. and you can see where pressures caused these things to come to be right and this is their advantage mm-hmm. over animals that don't have to do these things and make themselves supremely vulnerable incredibly right? vulnerable <laughs> if you had the marshall if you had the ability to melt yourself <laughs> in a case of your own spit how would that even begin? I don't know. <laughs> and then to be able, yeah. and then and then with what feature mm. would you use to reconstruct yourself? It's not like you have hands to start moving things around. Like everything is gone. Yeah. And the substance that comes from it is entirely other. Mm-hmm. Like these little things. I, our third listener is going to hate the use of the word miracle, but. Mm-hmm. What else yeah. can the like? I don't know. It's yeah. just bizarre. Yeah. And there are a lot of nature videos that'll use the word miracle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. That is they true. will. They will use it's it tongue in cheek. Miracle of evolution. They will use it tongue in cheek. David Attenborough. Uh, but what it is is a confession that it's not logarithmic mm-hmm. or mathematical mm-hmm. um, or quantifiable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's ridiculous it's wild so so anytime somebody says like um you're having this conversation and somebody says well let's talk about the moths you're like oh 100 percent let's talk i'm super eager to talk about moths yeah yeah, yeah. seriously all right Whew. that's the end of number two nice and we're doing this we're doing i still feel thing. good I, maybe we do four or five today maybe who knows who knows Except we don't know what we're doing after the next one <laughs> thanks for listening this pot don't tell people Okay, sorry. We totally know. We know what the next one is. We don't know what it is after that. Yeah. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a resource of Memorial Baptist Church in Stratford, Ontario, in cooperation with Gospel Coalition of Canada. It's produced by Alex Walker. See you next time. See you in a bit.